I've never thought of the word prick and I decided I don't like it. No, I don't like it either. It's not my favorite thing. I think the problem, and this this is fair, I think my problem with that is that when I think of the word prick, I think of like a thumbtack and then I automatically think of something really tiny. Yeah. And then if you're going to combine that with a dick, I'm just like... That's not cute. Is it a micro penis? Like, that's fine, <laughs> but it's not cute. It's not what I want in my no. fantasy, okay? No. <laughs> it's not the dong I want in my fantasy. <laughs> it's not my choice of dong. <laughs> Welcome to your safe space, the podcast your partner, friends, parents, whoever thinks is dirty. Don't have time to read books? Want to understand the jokes in the TikToks? We got you, fam. We're the Spice Traders, and we deal in spicy books. I'm Katie, and I need it to make sense. I'm Liz, and I'm hypercritical. As always, we start every episode with three things. The first is a generic trigger warning. You can find specific triggers for this book in our show notes, so please check those out. Also, we do use foul language and talk a lot about sex. If you have sensitivity to any of this, please give this episode a skip. Secondly, we talk about books. The whole book, nothing but the book, so help me goddess. If you plan to read this book and don't want something spoiled right now, don't listen to this episode. Lastly, we acknowledge that a good book can hit you at the wrong time. The views expressed in our discussion are our opinion, and we absolutely don't want to diminish the work and the talent of the authors in our community. That said, we have some notes. So Liz, what are we talking about today? Today we're talking about A Thief in the Night by K.J. Charles. This was published in 2022, and it is a standalone novella in the Gentle Art World series. Currently with one book and one novella, and for some reason a separately published epilogue, question mark, at the time of this recording. (laughs) This book is only 76 pages, and that's a shorty. It's not on Kindle Unlimited, which is a bummer, but it's only two bucks. And after reading it, I think it was worth the two bucks. I also think it was worth the two bucks. I, and I think two bucks was rounded up. I think it's one and some change. Definitely. But like, yeah, definitely worth it. Support I got, your authors. I got two bucks worth of entertainment out of it. So Absolutely. Um, also, the published epilogue separately, I've never seen anything like that before. No, that is, especially like the book is only 76 pages. How long is the epilogue that it was separately published? Well, so the epilogue, I think, is for the one. It's the, the epilogue book, for book? the book. But still, like, why don't you just include it with the book? Right. Like, (laughs) were you running out of paper? I don't understand. I don't understand. That's, yeah, I've never seen that. That's really strange. I mean, I guess that's cool for people who hate epilogues and they just don't have to read it. Do epilogues have the same problem as prologues, though? I mean, come on. I don't think so. Because by the time I finish the whole book, I might as well read the epilogue. Unless, unless, (laughs) what was the example that you gave? Unless I don't want any more of this bullshit. (laughs) Yeah, like Chateau. I didn't yeah, need that. Like <laughs> I read it and I wish I didn't because it I made wish me I hadn't. so angry. <laughs> yeah, so angry. So angry. Um, okay, I will say that the cover made me not excited. No, the cover's not great, but it's not one of the worst things I've ever seen. It's not. It's just really cartoonish. Um, yeah. Which I, I am seeing more of in like the, the shorty romance area um i do like how clear it is by the cover though that this is a gay romance i do too i like that representation i think the thing that helps that or i don't know helps is the right word but i think one of the reasons that this is a little bit more cartoony is because it is only an ebook it's not published anywhere like in a hard copy oh okay that makes sense actually yeah so why would you put in the and it comes through really crisply on kindle so i appreciate yeah yeah no i mean like it's a well-rendered item no, it's not. The, it's a high quality image. That's the one. If you're we'll going to go put images that. in your Kindle, they might as well be high quality. Yes. My my brain. And I don't have an excuse. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. But let's jump into it. Oh, I will say that I was really glad that we had another gay romance because the last gay romance we, we read was A Touch of Golden Iron or a taste of golden iron, and that sucked. So I wanted this book to redeem that, and I think it did. I think it did too. Yeah, it definitely renewed my interest in the the gay romance subgenre because I just don't think that there's a lot of good representation out there. But this author, no. K.J. Charles, has a lot of books in this 
this genre. Like she primarily writes male male romances, and I think one of them is based around like kind of a Sherlock Holmes esque character. Ooh. And so I think we should put one of those on our backlog. We definitely should because that sounds delightful, right? Yeah, that sounds great. All right, let's jump into this journey. Take it away. All right. So this book is less than 100 pages, and I think we all know what what we signed up for. So let's just dive in. <laughs> so I, I, I'm going to immediately share an experience I had with this book. So my Kindle typically puts me at chapter one, right? Yeah. Like that's where it starts. And I always go back to the title page to make sure I didn't miss anything because there's right. like maps or the dedications, whatever. So I was trying to go back and it went on forever. And I was like, is this some huge ass prologue? Like, what the fuck is happening here? Like, I could not get to the title page. And I looked down and realized that somehow I had skipped to chapter five and was trying to go back thing, oh, no. swipe by swipe. And I realized that I actually didn't miss anything at all. It's like title page, dedication, book. Yeah. Um, but my notes only say, like, my Kindle did this weird thing. I did this dumb thing. <laughs> I was like, this book is only 76 pages long. How long could the prologue possibly be? Just has a really long dedication. I was just like, holy shit. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I, too, now go back to the title to make sure I haven't missed anything. This yeah. podcast has taught me that sometimes Kindle pulls a fast one on you. It really does. <sighs> We don't right. miss out. All right. I guess not. <laughs> so we meet Toby, who is our protagonist, and Toby is in a pub, and he spots a handsome man in the snug. What is a snug, you may ask? A snug is a small, very private room within a pub that has frosted glass windows and is set above head height. So um, it has access to the bar, but it's more of a private area. So if you've ever watched, like, Peaky Blinders, that's where, like, the brothers would hang out when they had their pub, like that kind of thing. It can be like very small and intimate to people, or it can be a little bit larger than that. Thank you for that. So Toby estimates that this handsome man must not be more than 30 and describes him as having, quote, dark brown hair and a complexion that suggested he spent a lot of time in the sun. You add to that a military air of bearing and fitness and a well-shaped mouth, dark brows, impressive cheekbones, and blue-gray eyes. I'm so glad that we get a description of a male character that never says masculine features. Uh, yeah, if I never read the word masculine or feminine and re- in regard to a physical attribute ever again, I will be grateful. And we get, like, I get the sense that he's very masculine. I get that military bearing, like, he's, like, he takes up space without you just giving me the word. Like, right. thank you. Exactly. Thank you. <laughs> So Toby goes over and introduces himself, and we learn that this man's name is Miles Carteret, and he offers up that he's been out of the country for the last five years. So Toby suspects that he was a military man based in the kind of subcontinent, which I think in this context is like Africa or somewhere like that during the Napoleonic Wars. So Toby introduces himself with the surname Porritt, though we learn that this isn't his actual name in some way. We don't know if it's his first name or his last name. It doesn't spoil anything to tell you that it's just the last name that's not correct. His name is actually Toby. Yes, <laughs> which would, which is great. I hate when books like introduce you to a character and they're like, this is Toby. Just kidding. Right, because if you're going to use a fake name, that's fine. But in the internal monologue, I should get your real name. Right. I, or whatever like, name you're going to use for the book. <laughs> right. Like, I'm already privy to your private thoughts. <laughs> Just tell me your goddamn name. Thank you. Right. <laughs> so Toby buys the man a brandy without the funds to actually do so, but he figures that settling his tab is like a tomorrow him problem and relatable. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> Not from a settling a tab perspective, at least for a while, but like, <laughs> just problems wise. Like, that's just, a tomorrow me problem. Yeah. You know, future me always hates past me. <laughs> Yeah, uh, sometimes I set future me up for success, but... That's true, and then it's really nice. I can, like, thanks, past Lizzie. Right. Usually it's like, fuck you, past Lizzie. <laughs> Why did I do this? <laughs> right, like, I did this to myself. <laughs> Why did I make plans every day this weekend? <sighs> Exhausting. <laughs> <laughs> so Miles tells Toby that he's expecting to see his father, but he has learned that his father passed away before he could reach there. So sometime in the last 
couple of months his father passed away so he's a little bit too late to say goodbye now however miles plans to take on the family name and responsibility but he doesn't clarify what that specifically is it's clear in this conversation that both men are like into each other in that subtle way that they must be during this time and because it's set in england and it's like around the napoleonic wars so like 1800s so we're not just like out here loud and proud so they both kind of make separate excuses to like go to the bathroom at the same time and they meet outside in an alleyway and just absolutely collide they begin kissing against the wall miles kind of pushes toby up against it and toby ends up pleasuring miles with his mouth so kind of kneels down before him and just has at it while doing this he's also pleasuring himself with his hand and they both finish rather quickly <laughs> both they do really enjoying it yeah i appreciated the Toby clearly enjoys what he's doing to Miles, and I liked that. Yes. He likes serving him. It's, we get a, a little bit of talk about this later, but Toby's kind of like hard on his luck, right? And I didn't want it to be the case where like there was any question about like, well, I have to do this, that kind of thing. Yeah, or like for some weird exchange. Yeah. And we don't get that. Like, he enjoys it. I mean, there's ulterior motives we'll get to. But he also right. just genuinely enjoys it and finds Miles very attractive. Right. Yes. The other thing to note about this scene is that they have introduced Liz and I to a, an additional name for a penis, which is a prick. I've heard the word prick in period pieces, but usually as, like, an insult. Um, yeah. Like, even in Harry Potter, I feel like they, like, call people a prick, but not in the context of, like, a sex scene. And I, I firmly do not appreciate. No. And I know that it's, like, very a very British term, but it does, it doesn't have the same connotations <laughs> as, no, like, some it, of the other words. It doesn't. Prick, to me, makes me think of something tiny and pointy, like a thumbtack. Yeah. Uh-huh. And that's not what I want to think about in my smut. Nope. No, because that, mm, talk about infantilization. Yeah, I don't need that. No. So after this tryst, they both make their way back inside and back in the snug, Miles kind of sips his brandy and eventually drifts off to sleep. Toby takes this opportunity to rob Miles of his wallet and pocket watch and he flees into the night. He he does, uh, it was really kind of sweet because he gets this, intro monologue of toby where like he could imagine like spending more time with miles and so kind of a bummer that he robs him because like you can't just like rob him and then hang out with him no and he does he has this like um ongoing phrase that he says where he says needs must which he's like i love that too but he's just like man it really sucks but i i need your money (laughs) right like sorry like i'm gonna die of starvation so right (laughs) Goodbye. <laughs> so we follow Toby as he spends most of the money that he gets from the wallet and the pocket watch on a pair of new boots. But he knows that he's got to find work again soon. He has worked in houses before, so um, grand houses with staff as a footman and um, other various jobs. So he's trying to look for something like that in his new position. But with the Napoleonic War ending, he mentions that there's a lot of young men walking around looking for work. So a lot of competition. In his travels in an inn, he meets a fellow valet who tells him about his former employer, why he was let go. And we learned that they parted ways because the valet had helped himself to discarded clothes from the master and the master had taken issue with this. But like, this is something that is usually seen to be as okay. Yeah, almost like a perk of the job. Yeah, that, like, you can just kind of take discarded old things. Because this valet seems perturbed that the master was upset. He was like, but... I don't get it. But of course I'm going to, like, take some of this. Right, you were just going to throw it away anyway. I don't understand. Like, I'm I'm privy to this, right? Yeah. So they continue talking, and Toby learns that this valet is on his way to his next post with the Earl of Arvon. And Toby insinuates himself into his company to come along in the hopes of finding work there. He says, you know, I don't want you to vouch for me, but, you know, I would be undyingly loyal to you if you would, you know, let me come with you and inquire for a job for myself. So the valet agrees and they travel together. 
When they arrive at the Earl's house, though, they realize that it's in a state of decay and perhaps not the next best post for either of them. And the valet is so indignant that he actually leaves. He asks the the taxi man or the farmer or whoever's dropped them off to basically take him back to the station. <laughs> like, he doesn't even get out. No, he's like, he takes one look at the house and he's like, fuck that. I'm a nope right out of this. <laughs> yeah. Toby, however, stays. He's like, well, this looks like it needs a lot of work. <laughs> <laughs> maybe they need me. Right. <laughs> and so he goes around the back of the house to kind of look for the service servant's entrance. But this house is like... Decay is probably not conjuring the right image, but I, I picture like a house that is almost being gutted for renovation. Like I, I picture like furniture and just like junk outside every door. So it's like kind of hard to tell like where to go even. Yes, that's what I pictured. Like the structure itself isn't falling apart, but there's just like stuff yeah. everywhere. Because we learned the the guy that lived there was a hoarder. So it's like papers and just like bric-a-brac and all like kinds wax. of bullshit. Yeah. I get to the wax. Oh, I can't wait to get to the wax. <laughs> I like the word bric-a-brac. But yeah, just like random like broken furniture, boxes of trash. Right. So as Toby's looking for any sign of life... A man comes out of the servant's entrance kind of carrying boxes that cover his features. It's like a, um, the only thing I can picture is Gus Gus in Cinderella when he's trying to pick up all of the corn things. And he's like, that's exactly <laughs> what I pictured, too. And they keep like falling. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. So, um, wow. A core memory unlocked. <laughs> For real. <laughs> so Toby offers to help this guy and introduces himself as the valet. Obviously not the valet, um, but soon realizes once the boxes are out of the way that the man is Miles. <laughs> because of course it is. <laughs> because of course it is. Toby immediately understands that this has been a giant mistake. Miles is furious <laughs> and they end up having this kind of Looney Tunes chase around the grounds of the house. <laughs> it's, it's a very Looney Tunes chase because Toby recognizes him and is just like, about face sprints away. Right. <laughs> like well, They both oh. have boxes, so they're both just like, drop, run. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and Toby's described as kind of lanky, so like he, his legs are longer, so he can like kind of get a, a one up, but Miles is like fitter <laughs> because he's a soldier. <laughs> so. Much stronger. <laughs> yeah. So eventually Toby like, trips on something and falls down and Miles ends up catching him. And in this scuffle, Toby tries to tell Miles that he's the valet. He's never met him before. There's been a terrible mistake. Doesn't know anything about a stolen watch. But Miles <laughs> Miles is certain as he knows Toby's face. Quote, had in fact pleasured himself with it in mind a couple of times, even though the bastard had stolen his things. He'd felt the thief had owed him the loan of his imaginary body. End quote. <laughs> Which, you know what, Miles? Agreed. Agreed. Yeah, Miles, you get you some. You get you some. So it's during this kerfuffle that we get a description of Toby. Um, and it's here that I should point out that this book is told from a third person limited perspective. So we switch between Toby and Miles and it, do it really effectively, which I appreciate. Yes. So the description of Toby is this, quote, Deep brown eyes with a touch of gold in them, ash brown hair with a loose, lazy wave to it, and a deceptively pleasant face down to a smiling mouth. He sounds absolutely dashing. Right? The deceptively pleasant face. Deceptively pleasant, yes, because okay. he's a thieving bastard. <laughs> right? But I, but I do like that even though Miles is like, this guy stole from me, we still very clearly get the sense that he's attracted to him. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Which helps later yes. in my book. Absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, because Miles is, like, very annoyed that he still finds Toby attractive. Yes! <laughs> okay, so as they kind of argue back and forth, Miles is like, I know who you are. I know what you did. Like, you owe me. Toby is presuming that Miles is some kind of employee of the Earl, not the Earl himself. Um, and so they eventually come to an agreement that Toby's going to work off what he stole from Miles and in return, he'll get room and board only and help clear the house of all of this bric-a-brac bullshit that's lying around. 
when Toby asks if Miles needs to like run this decision by the Earl, Miles tells him, no, he's all set because he is the Earl. <laughs> Toby so is appropriately shocked. I'm all yeah. set. I'm I all set, man. Here. I was really proud of myself because I actually had, I called this before it happened and I didn't find out when I was told. I'm so proud of you too. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Okay, so they enter the house, and it's somehow worse. So, as we mentioned before, the late Earl, so Miles's father, was clearly a pack rat. And Miles bemoans that his father left so much in tatters. If he had known about the state of things, he would have come home sooner. So he's got this guilt on his shoulders for kind of leaving his father in such an unhealthy state. We learn that Miles has two women to come help him with the cooking and other tasks like laundry each day. It's Mrs. Whitworth and Martha, but we barely see them, so it doesn't really matter. No. (laughs) But he doesn't have any other staff. It's just him. Toby finds it odd that Miles is doing the clearing of the house on his own, and he realizes that Miles must be closer to Toby's version of poor rather than a rich people's version of poor, which is to say, quote, not as much money as would be convenient. I love that realization that he had of like oh shit like this guy's struggling even though he is an earl but also that clear juxtaposition of like "Mm, our definitions aren't the same aren't the same yeah but maybe yours is the same because you're like struggling here he's like this is kind of gross (laughs) right yeah i like that too and i i thought that was so interesting because like you read books like Jane Austen books like Pride and Prejudice and they're like rich people poor right like not as much money as would be convenient but they are not struggling no like they're worried about dowries but like they have more than two servants they're fine yeah they're fine so the men like immediately get to work and as they do so Miles always seems to ensure that the pair of them work in the same room each day but they eat separately so they'll work take their meals separately Miles will go to the dining room Toby will go to the kitchen and they do this for breakfast, lunch and dinner, which is kind of awkward. Yeah, I don't I we don't see like the exchanges, but I can only imagine like you just worked for a few hours in a room, probably in silence. And then you're like, okay, we'll break for lunch. Like meet you back here in 30. Like, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, it seems weird. And Toby suspects that like Miles is keeping an eye on him. So he doesn't steal anything. But Toby makes a point to say like, there's nothing here to steal. It's almost like the house was totally like cleaned of anything of value on purpose because there's just literally trash left over. There's nothing of value. Even the furniture is yeah. like run down. Yes. And they do work in silence to the point where Toby's just like, I can't take this anymore. Like <laughs> <laughs> This is not great. Yeah. Toby has also prepared himself to deliver on whatever Miles requests of him, including sexual favors. Saying, you know, usually I don't do this kind of thing or, you know, whatever, but I wouldn't mind doing it with him. But Miles never asks anything like that. Which seems to disappoint Toby a little bit. It does. Yeah, especially as the the book goes on. Like, at first he's like, okay, well, that's nice. He seems like a respectable guy. But then as they work together, he's just like, why won't you ask me? Right. Like, we had a great time the first time until I stole from you. But, like, (laughs) we both got off. Details. So (laughs) just minor details. Right. So finally, Toby can't take the silence of working anymore and begins just to talk out loud. Like he'll find things and be like, oh, more papers. Just to get a rise out of Miles. Just to listen. Right. And they end up talking about their families. We learned that Toby's father taught him how to act noble so that he could pretend to be from something better than he was. Toby fled from his father and the rest of his family when his father found him in flagrante with another man, and Toby saw the pure hatred in his face. He bemoans having to do this because he doesn't know if his half or step-siblings are okay, and he was much closer with them. There's this line um, in here as they're kind of like finishing or getting into this conversation where Miles says like, uh, essentially like that sucks like you didn't have to tell me that kind of like a thank you for telling me but like you didn't have I get that this was a vulnerable thing for you to share and in his internal monologue Toby has the thought he knew how Miles's spunk tasted he could probably discuss his upbringing yeah <laughs> like it's fine like listen 
we're past this. <laughs> right. If, if this is awkward for you, wow. Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, boy. Okay. <laughs> Miles ends up talking about his father, too, and talks about how he never got to reconcile with him after a row that they had when Miles was younger. And how he's not sure if this derelict inheritance inheritance was one last way for his father to get back at him or just a manifestation of his father's madness. He also ruminates about the valet. So the guy that Toby arrived with, he's like, I don't know if that was just him mocking me or if he was actually trying to, in some demented way, like prepare for my return. Like he's very confused and conflicted about how he found the state of things after his father's death. And how would he even have paid for this valet if it was sincere? Yeah, because there's nothing of value in the house. His father didn't leave him any money in any accounts. So it's, there's no money anywhere. No, like it's, it seems like there's a little bit of money that's rapidly dwindling and that's just going to like groceries. Yeah. And Miles talks about to the point that like their estate used to have, you know, lands where they would get rent, but he sold all of those off. So the, the, it's just the house and like a couple of acres of land and like, that's it. That's all we got. Later that night, Miles eats alone in the huge dining room by himself and thinks what a farce it is. <laughs> He's like, this is ridiculous. I'm not a, I'm not a knight. I'm not an earl. Like, I would much rather be in the kitchen eating with Toby. <laughs> so I actually kind of like him. <laughs> right. And in this kind of rumination, we learn why he hasn't asked more of Toby, even though he would very much wish to. And it's because he, quote, was well aware that yes meant nothing when you couldn't say no. And I loved that line. I loved that so much. Like his whole internal monologue about like why um, he wasn't comfortable asking him because he knew that it just wasn't appropriate. Like he can't say no. He's literally surviving off of me. That line was chef's kiss. (laughs) Yeah, because even if Miles were to have forgiven him about like the stolen watch or like Toby would have like worked off that debt or whatever... Toby's not getting paid. He literally doesn't have anywhere to go. So, like, even if Miles were to say, all right, you're free to go, Toby would be still down on his luck, and Miles would still very much hold a lot of the power in that relationship. Yeah, so the fact that he's not using that power, he's not holding it over Toby's head, really, when he totally could. He totally could. And I think this is one of, like, many examples in this book where both Toby and Miles are just incredibly emotionally mature characters, which was honestly refreshing. <laughs> so refreshing. Like oh and my it God. was fascinating that the author could write that in literally less than 100 pages. Yes. And created such like, because we've, we've read shorties before and a big complaint slash acceptance we make is that like, we don't need a lot of backstory. We don't need this to be a character. We know what we're here for. It's less than 100 pages. But we get such, like, clearly defined characters with backstories that make sense and that matter to the plot. And it's just, like, very well done. It really is. And, I mean, the the sex scenes in this book are good, but, like, I really... I'm here for the emotional intimacy in this book because it's done really well. Yeah, it is. (laughs) (laughs) I did want more sex, though. Yeah, I did want more I wanted more detailed sex scenes. Because yeah, they, they do I, have yeah. sex a lot. They have sex a lot, but most of it's closed door. Yeah, which, yeah. come on. <laughs> so the final thing that we learn from Miles's kind of internal monologue as he's moping and eating alone in this huge dining room is that even though he doesn't want to ask more of Toby and he feels like he can't properly interact with him, he also can't help himself from, like, being drawn to him like a moth to a flame kind of thing for one he's desperate for human interaction and for two miles finds toby damned attractive (laughs) which is so lovely (laughs) right so while they work uh over the next couple of days They talk about all sorts of things. They talk about Miles' time in battle, how other horrors plagued him in the peninsula when he was stationed there, not just the actual killing, but it was like gut rot and the sand and all of that kind of in the trenches kind of thing. Um, But he also talks about how that experience forced him to grow up as a person. And he, he, he hints that when he first entered the service, he was a much different person than he is now. We get these really like 
cookie crumb background about Miles Mm -hmm. throughout the book. Like, he's pretty tight-lipped about the fight he had with his dad and who he was before. And it's like, we get these little bits and pieces of it kind of as Toby finds it out. And that was also really interestingly written. Yeah. I liked it, too, because it was Miles shared more and more the more comfortable he was with Toby. Yeah. And it was such a natural feeling of, like, opening up to someone mm-hmm. where Toby was just like, here's my backstory. There you go. Which also made them really unique characters, like, from each other, which was nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we do learn a little bit more about the fight between Miles and his father. We learn that they broke things off because his father refused to keep paying Miles' gambling debts. As a young man, Miles was a partier who never really knew when enough was enough. And so his father vowed back then that he would never leave Miles a penny. And Miles sees that his father has been true to his word, right? He left him his, this derelict house, no money to speak of, no prospects at all basically a negative inheritance yeah the negative inheritance like we learn more about miles's father and all of those things but damn this guy could hold a grudge like he followed through he really did in a big way like methodically like sold off everything like over years and years and years yeah to the point where like he himself was living in essentially a squalor just to spite his son right yeah (laughs) which like holy shit Toby, on the other hand, is convinced that Miles' father actually did want him back. And he he gives as evidence the fact that his father hired the ballot. He thinks that because of his own experience with his family, um, he couldn't see another explanation for the ballot because the ballot was actually from a reputable house. He probably cost money and... Toby sees that in some twisted way, it was his father's way of kind of bridging the gap for when Miles came home. Yeah. As they talk, Miles is warring within himself, but he ultimately pushes Toby away, telling him to get back to work and effectively ends the conversation. Later, when he's alone, Miles berates himself for being so lonely and desperate for company that he's pouring his heart out to a thief who's only listening because he's got nowhere else to go. And as he sets himself to another task to get his mind off Toby and other things, he remembers the last word of his father that wherever spoke to him. So these words were on your mother's grave. And that was in reference to the fact that Miles would never get another penny from his dad. Which, damn. Yeah. Why we gotta bring mom into this? Right, why you gotta bring my mom into this? She's a nice lady. (laughs) She's a nice lady. Miles is thinking about this and trying to set himself to this other task in a room where his dad used to make illegal candles. So (laughs) he would apparently gather like old seal wax and like beef tallow, and he had like this whole like setup in this room to make candles. And Miles talks about how smelly they were and how they used to smoke. And apparently it was, like, very illegal to do this back in the day in England. Yeah, that was such a fascinating just detail to put in. Which I didn't do any research as, like, if this was true. I feel like it is because it was so, so detailed. Um, And there's... This, this continues throughout the book where there's just like drawers full of like bits of wax and like right. string. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so <Yeah>. much wax. <laughs> so after dinner one night, Miles sits alone in the drawing room that he and Toby have cleared out. Toby comes in and says that he's worried because he knows that Miles isn't okay, that he's unhappy. He asks if they can at the very least be lonely together. But Miles tells him to leave, tells him that the last time he was lonely with Toby, Toby robbed him, and that makes Toby leave. As soon as he's gone, though, Miles regrets what he's done. It's such a sweet line. Um, Toby says, I don't think you ought to be alone. I know about being lonely, and I don't like it. If nothing else, could we at least be lonely together? Huh? And it's that that pure like friendship side where it's like, I can't do anything to make you feel better. Like, I know I can't. It's really out of my realm. But you're not alone. Right. Exactly. So the next day, Toby is mortified that he thought he might be able to help Miles. He's like, of course, of course, Miles wants nothing to do with me. (laughs) Because I'm a thief. Right. 
Toby just thought that when he saw Miles that Miles needed to be held as Miles wept and you know he he makes this correlation with his own siblings. Toby's a very um, tactile person and he would hold his siblings when they cried and so that was just his natural inclination when he saw Miles in that state. But obviously that didn't go so well. <laughs> no. <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> and so as he works alone, he tries to fit the valet into the picture of Miles's father, methodically selling everything of value in the house simply to spite his son. But he can't. He can't make the pieces fit. Soon enough, though, Toby is going mad with the quiet and he turns his thoughts to leaving. He's like, certainly Miles doesn't want me here anymore after that <laughs> night. I'm just making it worse. Like, how do I how do I get out of the situation? He knows that he needs money if he's going to go anywhere, right? He literally has no money. Literally nothing. So he decides to take some of the clothes from Miles' father and use those to pawn for money. Because that's a thing that valets do, apparently. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) So the next morning, he slips upstairs after Miles has come down and goes into the master suite, which Miles isn't using. So Miles is staying in a different room. He can't bear to disturb his father's things yet. And so he goes into the wardrobe, and as he's looking through the garments, he searches the the pockets as well. He finds something, but before we learn what he's found, he goes searching for Miles. He's he's running all around the house, yelling for Miles, asking where he is. And when he finally finds him, Miles is like, oh my god, what? (laughs) We have not really spoken. What? (laughs) Right. And before Toby can get out what he's found, Miles insists on apologizing to Toby for his behavior the night or a couple of nights before, where he basically pushed Toby away so hard it left a bruise. <laughs> yeah. And this shocks Toby completely. He's like, you're apologizing to me. You're an Earl. Are you ill? And, and like, you weren't wrong either. <laughs> no, like, fair point. <laughs> I yeah. am a thief. I am a thief. I did steal from you. Right. So in this conversation, Toby's like, so apology accepted, but I have something to tell you and don't get mad. <laughs> like, and since we're talking about apologies. Yeah. Can we just like pay it forward with your forgiveness? Right. <laughs> so he tells Miles that he's found a letter from Miles's father expressing pride and love for his son. It also has details about what to do when Miles gets home, specifically to consult uh, Mr. Greenford and speak to a Sir Athelney. Athelney? Yeah, Athelney. I just Uh, called him Pew. Yeah. And speak to Sir Pew. (laughs) (laughs) And also, like, the snake. Like, it says, like, speak to the snake. Yeah, the snake, Sir Pew. When Toby shows Miles the letter, Miles is so overcome with emotion that he hugs Toby and they just hold each other for a while. Uh, And Miles does cry. So Toby was right. He just needed to be held while he cries. uh, (laughs) But then, of course, the sexual attraction takes over. And after a bit of awkwardness, they both give into it. So Miles is like, you can say no. You can absolutely say no. But if would you please, uh, could we? And Toby is like, yes, please fuck me. (laughs) so cute because miles is still like i don't want you to feel forced into this but like i'm just gonna what i mean just maybe have you considered (laughs) (laughs) they fumble into a room and enjoy each other's bodies so miles goes down on toby but it's clear that he doesn't like it or doesn't really know what he's doing so toby kind of takes the lead he ends up having miles bend him over a dresser and uses his hands while miles thrusts between his thighs that sounds dry to me. It does sound dry, yeah. Yeah. But I don't know, maybe to each their own. Yeah, I mean, maybe I, they're sweaty. I mean, true, and I mean, I'm also not a dude, so I don't I don't know if it feels good. I don't either. I mean, obviously the thighs don't feel anything, but who am I to judge? Right, but like I mean, they both finished, so They both had a great time. Yeah, they enjoyed it. So, you know, I'm not here to judge. <laughs> Although yeah. I am, that's kind of the entire point we're here. Yeah. <laughs> I also feel like I so I don't have a lot of experience with like gay sex scenes. I so I don't, like I don't either. know how unique or different this is. Yeah. Same. It's my first time. This <laughs> is my first time be gentle. Outside of like a reverse harem situation. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So after this, Miles declares the day a holiday and they go for a walk. <laughs> As they walk, they talk more about their pasts. 
Miles shares about his gambling, about how he made a bad bet once and had to suck a man's cock to pay it back, hence not liking the blowjob thing so much. Yeah, I got some trauma associated. Some trauma, yeah. Capital T trauma. Yeah, some PTSD. Um, he also talks about Fanny, who was a woman he met while he was stationed in the peninsula, who helped set Miles on the straight and narrow and kick his gambling habit. We get the impression that Fanny was also a romantic partner, but he doesn't really go into detail on that. Mm -mm. Also, I'm realizing that the peninsula is probably Spain, not Africa. You know, that makes sense. And I was just thinking about that. I'm like, well, I guess all of Africa, the bottom is just like a giant peninsula. (laughs) (laughs) It's probably Spain. We're all really on an island, right? (laughs) Right. (laughs) Toby talks about his siblings and Miles asks whether he's ever tried to find them. Toby tells him that he has he meant to whenever he had enough money, but he just hasn't ever had enough money to do so. (laughs) Listen, I feel that. Yeah. I know where my siblings are, but there's a lot of things I would do once I had the money. (laughs) Right. (laughs) For dinner, Miles insists on eating in the kitchen and feels like he's been let out of jail. Every time the word jail is in this book, it's spelled G-A-O-L. And I had to do the little click on Kindle to see what that word meant because I read it as Gaul. Gaul. (laughs) And it's it's jail. It's like ye old English for jail. Yeah, it just threw me off. I was like, what? Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah, not my favorite thing. It was clunky in my American brain, but. It was. It Yeah, it was clunky in my American brain, too. Yeah. Later that evening, they fall into bed and enjoy each other again, but it is a closed door scene, alas. Alas and alack, because I wanted more. Yeah, I mean, that that sex scene that they have against the dresser with the thighs is really it. Um, Part of that, I, I forgot to bring it up, but part of that scene up against the dresser, there's this, Toby uses the term jousting. Yeah. And I was like, is that a thing? Just, like, rub your dicks together. <laughs> oh, yeah, because Miles, like, takes both of them in one and hand. And just, like, yeah. I don't have a hand that's that big, but. Me either. Like, he takes both of them in one hand, but uh, Toby's just, like, I always like a little bit of jousting. And so what's happening is that Miles is really just, like, jerking them off with one hand together. But I picture them just, like, sword fighting. <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> with their dicks. And I was, like, what? <laughs> yeah. Um, Again. My first time. I don't have a penis, so. Right. I don't, I don't know. Uh, But yeah, that's really the only, like, detailed scene we get, which was a bummer to me. It was a bummer. It's okay. But maybe the other books have more. Yes. So the next day, Miles goes to see Mr. Greenford, and there he learns of a potential big sum of money and thinks to himself that he must be mad if he's thinking about telling Toby about any of this. But on the other hand... He thinks about sending Toby away and not telling him and never seeing him again. And that also doesn't sit right. So he ends up telling Toby about the whole thing. Basically, the gist is that Miles's father was trying to keep his vow while also providing for his son, whom he was now proud of. So he converted his entire wealth into a $60,000 trove of jewels. Sorry, not dollar, pound trove of jewels which is a shit ton of jewels yes it's a shit ton of jewels and it's a shit ton of money back then unfortunately (laughs) miles's father hid these jewels somewhere in the house didn't tell anybody where the resolve (laughs) the the two men resolved to search the house room by room methodically to find this trove of jewels which we learn is actually a diamond necklace with an enormous sapphire pendant attached to it to be worth 60,000 pounds, that is a big-ass sapphire. It's a big-ass sapphire, and I think big-ass diamonds, too. Yeah, and I think we find out later, we, like, get an image of it, but it's, like, five, it's, like, a five-string necklace. There's, like, five strings of diamonds and then this huge sapphire. Right. Which, like, my God, how gaudy. Oh, right. Like, ew, Why? <laughs> So we also learned that the final person in the letter was Sir Pew, 
And he was the local magistrate who prosecuted Miles's father later in his life for illegal candle making. Because that's a problem. (laughs) But Miles and Mr. Greenford aren't really sure if there's anything else there, as the old Earl was quite mad during the whole thing, so there's not a lot of reliable detail about what happened there. Mm. The next week, they spend searching the house room by room methodically, but they find nothing. They spend their evenings in each other's company, and Toby makes sure that they take breaks to keep the wider world in view so they don't get sucked into a treasure hunt that might be a wild goose chase. Yeah, and he makes them, like, take meals and go on walks. Yeah, it very much is like, I don't know, it just feels like, hey, we're going to reno this house and just have a nice laid-back life about it. Just have a go. Just have a go of it. (laughs) Yeah. One day, a visitor interrupts their work. Miles leaves Toby alone to see who it is, and Toby thinks what a great opportunity it would be to find the jewels on his own and turn them over to Miles to prove once and for all that he's not a career thief. I loved this. (laughs) (laughs) But... But then, Miles would start his life as an Earl and have no need for Toby, and that makes Toby melancholy. And so he doesn't really know what to think. But he doesn't really have to make that choice because he doesn't find the jewels. No, he doesn't. (laughs) This is the first time, though, that Toby's kind of thought about what would happen if they found the jewels and what that would mean for him. Yeah, because he has what I think would be an appropriate, it is an appropriate assumption that he would become an earl. He would marry a woman. Mm -hmm. Create. And then move on. And then move on. Like, I mean, I guess best case scenario, you could keep Miles on as your Uh, keep Toby on as your actual valet and just like but that seems also really dangerous given the time Mm -hmm. so yeah not a lot of great options no so an hour later Miles comes back in spitting mad Greenford is the one who had been to visit and he had documents for the jewels like basically um what their provenance is like their value that kind of thing but we learned that along with the necklace there was also a bracelet However, Greenford suspects that Sir Pugh weaseled the bracelet out of the old Earl for the fine that was levied against him for illegal candle making because Lady Pugh now wears an identical bracelet to the one that's described in the papers. Which, if you remember what the necklace looks like, this is not a common bracelet. No. In a small town. It's it's very expensive and it's very distinctive. Like gaudy, yeah. Yeah. Toby asks Miles if he can prosecute or sue the magistrate, but Miles doesn't want a lengthy legal battle and he doesn't want all of his dirty laundry aired publicly, which he also I get. can't afford it. He also can't afford it. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so they go back to searching with renewed interest, determined to either find this or put an end to this, this whole wild goose chase in, to begin with. The next day, Miles goes to see Pew with Greenford, Pugh says that the fine was dropped against the old Earl and that the bracelet was a gift afterwards. But Miles is so mad and like so irritated by Pugh that he ends up asking Toby to tell him how to steal the bracelet back. I um we don't get a lot of interaction with Greenford, but what we do see I really appreciate. Um because he says something like, correct me if this isn't in this book, because now I'm wondering if I just heard it in a podcast and I'm just like squishing them together. But that there's, like, a letter that says, like, I give this as a gift because you're such a good friend. Yeah, no, there is a letter there. Okay. It was signed by the old Earl. Yeah, but and Greenford is, like, because that's a normal thing to do with gifts. Right, like, totally He makes normal. a, like, sassy comment about it, and I really appreciated right. that. Yeah. It's like, people he, don't do that. No. He also tells Miles, like, before Pew comes in, he's like, be nice. <laughs> and Miles is like, and I was nice. And I was nice. <laughs> So Toby, of course, thinks that stealing the bracelet back is a terrible idea. (laughs) He stalls for time saying that they need a plan. And in the meantime, they'll continue looking for the necklace. And Miles seems to take that in stride. So for a fortnight, they continue searching and planning. No necklace, though. Toby finally comes to a conclusion, which is he must do the stealing because he's far less likely to be caught than Miles. Miles is obviously horrified and insists that they split the proceeds from the bracelet and continue to live their lives that they have been afterward, only maybe try to find Toby's siblings as well. Which is really nice. I know. It's like, it kind of comes off as like a, well, if you're going to try to steal it, we should at least 
split the proceeds, but I don't think that's how it was meant because I think Miles probably always intended to split the proceeds with him. I think he did too, um, but he phrases it in a way where it's like, you know, if you get into a criminal deal with someone, it's only fair. Right. Which I, I kind of wonder why. Like, I don't know if he's like trying to protect Toby's pride, but like, I don't think Toby has a lot of like pride around this and he never expected any of the proceeds anyway. No. Like, his only concern was, like, cool, I'm going to be out on the street, and now I like this guy. Right. Exactly. This is nice. I don't want this to end. Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm happy here, and he's not going to need me anymore. Right. So the night of the heist arrives, and Miles is eating dinner with the pews at their house. He is playing the part of a prodigal son, none too bright and easily manipulated, uh, who would be a good match for the pews' 16-year-old daughter. Reminder, Miles is over 30. Yeah. So less than half his age. It's fine. During dinner, everyone hears a kerfuffle upstairs and a cry of thief. Miles is (laughs) Miles is concerned, but Pew tells him that he has enough muscle to deal with it. And a little later, these thugs come downstairs and there's a bloodied Toby in between them who is affecting a Cockney accent. Pew orders him to take to be taken to the cellars to be held for trial the next day. I wanted so bad for him getting caught to be, like, part of his plan. Like, some, like, Ocean's Eleven bullshit. I know. (laughs) And then it wasn't, and I was like, oh. Yeah, I was like, oh, Tony, you're bad at this. I know! I was like, how'd you fuck that up? I know! (laughs) He's like, well, I'm far less likely to get caught. I was like, obviously you're not. Right, like, he gets caught immediately. Yeah. (laughs) He doesn't even make it out of the, like, room where the bracelet is. No. <laughs> yeah, that was kind of um, anticlimactic. I was like, hmm, baby. Yeah, I wanted some, like, big reveal or, like, they, like, swoop it off of the wife's wrist somehow. Like, right. something else. But, like, I it's mean, also pretty realistic. Like, okay, well. To be fair, Toby is a petty thief. He's not, like, a cat burglar. <laughs> <laughs> right. No, because I think when they're talking about planning the burglary, they talk about highway robbers, like highwaymen. Yeah. And Toby's like, I would never... <laughs> No. It's like, that shit's scary. (laughs) So in the cellar, it seems like we said that this was not part of the plan because Toby (laughs) waffles on whether Miles will lift a finger to try to save him at all. And he figures that it's kind of 50-50. He could see it going both ways, but he doesn't have a lot of hope. The next morning, he's transported to the jail to be tried and hanged, and he ends up going actually in one of the one of Sir Pew's coaches with like the thugs, mostly because the door is locked. And (laughs) this ends up being very convenient Um, because en route, this coach is attacked by a highwayman. And this is Miles with a Cockney accent and a mask. (laughs) (laughs) Like a la Zorro. (laughs) Right. He swiftly takes control of the coach and its inhabitants, and he frees Toby. But before they ride off into the sunset, Toby retrieves the bracelet from a pouch in Sir Pew's coat. So it did end up being just fine. Yeah, it was great. It was a great heist. I did have a question, though, when they retrieve the bracelet. Are they all, like, unconscious? Or does Pew just, like, no. watch Toby take it and run away? They So Pew watches him take it, but... um, He doesn't know it's Miles. He doesn't know it's Miles, and Miles has this, like, I forget what it's called, but he's got, like, a big-ass, like, gun of some kind. Oh, yeah, the it was called, like, a, a boofer. That's not what it is. <laughs> but it's a, it's a funny word. Um, it's a funny word. A blunderbuss. Yeah, so a blunderbuss. I feel like I need to look this up. I know, what does it look like? Okay, it just, it looks like a short-barreled rifle. Do you it's, see- the technical term is it's a mid 19th century firearm with a short, large caliber caliber barrel, which was commonly flared at the muzzle. <laughs> so it's deadly. Big ass gun. You know, yeah, you know. Big ass gun. Anywho, this was not part of the original plan. Miles was improvising. <laughs> and it was <laughs> Toby effective. Is very grateful. And kind of turned on. <laughs> yeah, kind of turned on. Back at home, after they're both washed and fed, Toby thanks Miles for coming for him and saving his life. And it's then that Miles realizes that Toby hadn't expected to be saved. Not that he didn't trust Miles, 
it was more that he had never had anybody come for him when he truly needed them to. And this prompts Miles to say that he will always come for Toby and that basically he never wants Toby to feel like he's alone ever again. They affirm their affection for each other and they agree to sell off the place and to find Toby's siblings and travel. Just lovely. It's just lovely. They wander the halls afterwards and Miles is kind of saying goodbye to his childhood home. And they end up in the candle making room. And it's here that Toby realizes that the necklace has to be in the wax. This foul, disgusting wax that Miles' father was obsessed with. (laughs) So they take this chunk of wax down to the kitchen. They put it into basically a pot over the fire and try to melt it. And the smell is so horrendous that Miles has to, like, leave and get some fresh air. (laughs) And when he's outside, he basically tells the sky slash his father that he's sorry that he didn't get to get get to get home in time to say goodbye and say a proper goodbye and get closure. The necklace is in the wax. And when it's revealed, Toby tells Miles that he understands if it changes what Miles wants, because with this, he could reclaim his title, his inheritance, live out as an Earl, et cetera, et cetera. And Miles has absolutely zero interest in doing any of that. He still wants to wander, with Toby. Which I love. Yes. And we get a little title drop too, which I love because Miles tells Toby, quote, you came into my life like a thief in the night, exactly like you little shit. I still want my watch back. And since then, you've become everything, end quote. It's so nice. He also has, because so he goes on kind of like this monologue. Um, He says, I never want you to say needs must again, or at least I don't want you to have to. I don't even know your surname, curse it but i love you and i need you and toby's like i don't know my surname either dude (laughs) (laughs) it's cool i don't need one (laughs) i know it's really cute (laughs) crucially toby also says that he loves miles and that's where the book ends it's so lovely it was just such a lovely like warm and fuzzy book well so let's get into the rating so how did we rate the spice so i got excited (laughs) we both (laughs) we both gave it a three um they do have sex a lot, but most of them are closed door scenes. We really only get two explicit scenes, the original blowjob scene and then the bent over the furniture scene, um, which was kind of a bummer. I would have liked more, mm-hmm. but yeah. the scenes we do get are good. And like, because this book was so sweet and cozy, it was enough for me, like knowing they were having a lot of sex. Yeah. It's like, okay. (laughs) Yeah, that coupled, like, it was the physical intimacy and then also, like, so much of the emotional intimacy that, like, I didn't mind it so much. No, not at all. It was just so lovely. Yeah. Yeah. So the writing style, we gave a four. And I think that was primarily based on, it's a a well-written book, right? There's no, like, typos or formatting issues. Um, I think for me, it just wasn't very complex, which is fine, very approachable. But some of the the word choices were just a little bit awkward for my ham-fisted American brain, um, like prick and jail, <laughs> some things like that. Yeah, I had a hard time with those things. And even things like snug, like if I didn't yeah. know what that was. Yeah. Yeah. Ham-fisted American brain. <laughs> what about the quality of storytelling? Uh, we also gave that a four because it was really well written. We get shockingly well-developed characters for such a short book. Yeah. Agreed. Um, and like then the story made sense there weren't any weird plot holes like it all it all made sense like it's not complex by any means but I didn't have any problems with it no not at all and nothing got in the way like sometimes we'll talk about these short books with like they do just a little bit too much world building where you're like now I have questions (laughs) right like you gave me too much detail (laughs) right we didn't have that problem in this book no it was the perfect amount of world building we got confused between Spain and Africa, but it really didn't matter. So right, that's an us thing. <laughs> that's that's a, that's an American brain thing. Yeah, <laughs> I don't really. That's know what what the last history course I took was about 15 years ago. Thing, yeah, so so. <laughs> so we absolutely recommend this book. It's just cozy. It's a very quick read. It's two dollars. Go read the book. Go read the book. It's it's a good two dollars you'll spend. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, KJ Charles. 
Thank you, KJ Charles. So we did it. Those are our thoughts on KJ Charles as a thief in the night. Thank you as always for joining us on this journey. What did you think? Let us know on the socials. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, and Goodreads at Spice Traders Pod. And if you like our podcast and want more, considering becoming a patron, and we release a Patreon-exclusive episode on our off weeks. And if you really, really like us, consider dropping us a review wherever you listen. Until next time. Thank you. (laughs) Bye. Bye. Bye.